Welcome to Everyday Martial Artist, a weekly podcast where you'll join me, Brian Doucet, as I interview a different martial artist each episode and hear their story. Some guests you may have heard of, and some you probably haven't. Be sure to subscribe where all your favorite podcasts are available. Also, visit our website at everydaymartialartist.com. If you're listening for a specific interview, I sure hope you'll stay and check out the other episodes. A very special thank you to Topher Williams for our custom theme music. And now, the newest episode of Everyday Martial Artist. Everyday Martial Artist is brought to you by KOonline.com for all your martial arts needs. Sparring and safety gear, rank belts, uniforms, weapons, patches, and more. Wholesale supplies made by martial artists for martial artists. Visit us today at KO-Online.com. Hello and welcome to Everyday Martial Artist. I'm your host, Brian Doucette. And as we do every week, we're joined by a brand new guest talking about their life and their journey throughout the world of martial arts. My guest today was born and raised in New Bedford, Massachusetts, been involved in martial arts for almost half a century and holds over 15 black belts, has been the owner-operator of five commercial studios, been inducted into five martial arts halls of fame, has one of the largest martial arts book, magazine, and video collections in the U.S. In his spare time, he enjoys singing karaoke, comic books, and video games. Please welcome my guest today, the man they call Kenpo Joe, Mr. Joe Rebello. How you doing today, sir? How you doing, Brian? Thank you for uh, inviting me to your program, and uh, really looking forward to it. Yeah, I'm like I'm excited to have. I know we've, we've chatted many times in the past, and this, this is the first official time. So <laughs> we we it's it's on record, so no holding back this time. So <laughs> well, what what we like to do with all my guests, I, I want to jump back to the very beginning. I, I like to find out where did that initial spark come from, that first interest <laughs> in martial arts, kind of what started your martial arts journey. Well, I was seven years old and I was doing father son horse play with my dad and he hit me with a karate chop and dropped me. <laughs> and instead of crying, I looked up at him and said, what was that? And he goes, that's karate. I'm like, what's karate? Well, my father had been studying at the time with a gentleman by the name of Dave Schuster. And actually his brother uh, was actually a, a guitarist with his with his uh, with uh, my father's wife at the time for a, a, a Portuguese band. She was a famous singer. And uh, his brother, Dave Schuster, had studied uh, uh, Kyokushin Karate, uh-huh. which was the system from Masoyama. Yep. And if you look in the first edition of Masoyama's book, This is Karate, and you look for Kyokushin schools that are listed, Dave Schuster at the House of Oyama on Dartmouth Street in New Bedford was the official representative for the Northeastern United States. Okay. But at that time, again, Kyokushin is a very rough and tumble system. So at the time, there was no children being taught. Uh, I don't even think they were even teaching women at that time at that, that location. Wow. Right. So my dad would give me little lessons here and there, a little introductions into Kyokushin and whatnot. He uh, also gave me two books. He gave me the classic Shotokan book, Karate, The Way of Empty Hand Fighting by Nishiyama and Brown. And he gave me another book by the famous Bruce Tegner. Nice. Okay. So we progress on to the early 1970s, and I was going to uh, a parochial junior high school, St. Anthony's in New Bedford. And I had met with a, a, a friend and fellow student there, Eric Chevalier. And Eric was studying at one of the first 20 United Studios of Self-Defense in Fairhaven, Massachusetts. Now, United Studios was founded by Fred Valari. Fred Valari was a former student of uh, Nick Sirio. And at one point when Nick Sirio moved down to Florida, he and another friend of his, Rudy Horn, who I believe was one of his students, got together and decided to open up two schools in Waltham and Dedham, respectively. Well, Nick Serial tired of for, uh, from Florida, rather, and came back to Rhode Island. And um, 
started to like him. Oh, we've got these two studios and we'll make a mix series. He's like, what are you talking about? So they had a major falling out and Fred Valeri decided to open his own chain of schools called United Studios of Self-Defense. So um, Eric would talk about his training in Kempo there. And uh, I that summer they had an advertisement in the local paper, three months of karate training, including a free uniform, free patch, and a free bag to hold it in. So like my mother was a stitcher by trade, mm-hmm. and I pointed this out to my mother for a whopping $99. <laughs> and um, she agreed. Wow. So uh, I went to train with Fred E. Hosmer, which most people knew as Ed Hosmer. And uh, started training in Kenpo Karate. And in the old days, it was like front position, bow to flag, bow to Professor Chow. And there, next to the American flag, was a picture of Professor William Kwaisun Chow. Now, years later, I would find that that Xerox picture was actually autographed to Nick Serio <laughs> instead of Fred Valari. Um, in fact, Professor Chow had no idea who Fred Valari was. <laughs> But at the time, you know, we were studying Kempo and, uh, you know, we were we were actually studying a system that originally was brought to New England by George Passari from Rhode Island. He, in turn, taught Nick Serio, who was the auto mechanic in Boston at that time. And Nick Serio, in turn, opened his martial arts studio and taught Fred Valari. So that was the lineage that we, we came from. We would do the classic five forms, which were part of the uh, Kara Zempo Goshen Jitsu system from uh, um, originally his real name was Hilleron, but he never liked it because children can be cruel and they would make fun of him. say so he was hilarious and different things. And, and he also had a speech impediment. I always reminded of the classic film with Marlon Brando on the waterfront of the big bruiser who uh, in reality is very awkward about his own speech impediment. And Victor, Sonny Gascon, would stutter occasionally and he was very self-conscious about it. But anyway, he was so he went on to uh, formulate uh, the system Karazepo Goshen Jitsu. He had a falling out with Sidro uh, uh, Imperado and uh, started his own form of Kempo. And he, in turn, again, taught the Air Force uh, recruit and a uh, member of the Air Force who was stationed out in uh, Burbank, George Passari, mm-hmm. who then brought the art back to New England. So I started studying with USSD in the uh, early 1970s, and I got all the way up to my blue belt, and uh, my instructor decided to leave the school for various reasons. And other individuals would take over the school, but it just wasn't the same as training with him. After that point, I started going on to go train with whoever I could. So I trained in uh, Taekwondo and Tung Sudo with a German Joe Gonzalez. I trained in Aiki Ken and Aiki Joe, which were the weapon legacies of Aikido with Sensei Jack Leonardo, who brought Aikido to New Bedford. Uh, I then got involved with uh, at SMU, Southeastern Massachusetts University in North Dartmouth, with uh, Sifu Edward Jada, or Shifu Edward Jada, who was the eighth chosen disciple of Sifu Jason Zhou, who uh, many people are familiar with out on the West Coast and uh, in the Wu-Tang curriculum. And yes, that's right. I'm a real member of the real Wu-Tang clan <laughs> and uh, studied Northern Praying Mantis Kung Fu uh uh, also uh, uh, Tai Chi, also select forms from uh, uh, Bagua, uh, Ying Fu Bagua, and um, the Grandmaster of the system, uh, Liu Yanxiao. Grandmaster Liu was one of the 10 tigers of Taiwan and taught the presidential bodyguards for Sun Yat-sen and Chiang Kai-shek. Uh, had a long, illustrious legacy through the Wutong lineage. So I'm studying I'm studying all these different arts. I also met up when I went to um, European Health Spa and met a gentleman, John Gabriel, who used to work on the radar systems of the B-52 bombers, who had studied Taekwondo in a system called Taichwondao, which is the Taiwanese pronunciation of Taekwondo, which combined Taekwondo and several Kung Fu systems. So I'm studying with all these different individuals, 
simultaneously. Okay. I'm spending five to six days a week training with all these different instructors, learning as much as I possibly can. In my early days with USSD, I found that I didn't realize it, but I had a photographic memory. So I would I would buy martial arts magazines and I wouldn't just buy them. I'd memorize them. Mm-hmm. I'd memorize the different stories and different masters and whatnot. And was fascinated with martial arts. Did not have any success with team sports, although uh, I had my share of playing a street hockey goalie. Uh, in my younger years, because nice. I was originally born pigeon toed. And because of it, I was grossly overweight, couldn't run with the other kids, et cetera. You know, had the, the classic cast on my legs as a small child. But I got involved with martial arts and, uh, horse dance straightened my feet out and strengthened my, anta- my, my, uh, antagonist muscles in my legs and I fixed my legs. Wow. So okay. I was very excited about that. And I was enraptured with the martial arts. You know, mm-hmm. the classic phrase is there is no I in team. I go, yeah, but there's three in individual. <laughs> I want to back up just a little bit to that very first school. You, you mentioned, you know, when your instructor left, it just wasn't the same. What was it about that first instructor? What was it that you think drew you to him? What was special oh, about gosh. the way he taught? Ed Hosmer. I, I can't speak enough highly about Ed Hosmer, but I'm sure we'll try. Mm-hmm. So Ed Hosmer had the blonde hair of Robert Redford. The physique of Bruce Lee, the flexibility of Jean-Claude Van Damme, you know, he was he wasn't following procedure. What I mean by that is, you know, at the time, USSD and subsequent incarnations were very you only do what we do. You don't go to other schools. You don't train to other places. You only train with us. Well, he he wasn't big on that. And he would go he traveled down to go train with uh, Jeff Smith, who at the time was a uh, mm-hmm. light heavyweight champion of the world. And he'd go work out with him and he trained up with Bill Superfoot Wallace. Then he'd come back and he'd teach us, you know, and he, he, you know, we'd still go over the curriculum that was taught through USSD, but we'd also be doing boxing rounds and we'd be doing jump, skipping jump rope. And we'd be, you know, we'd be doing other things that weren't in that curriculum. And I think that's maybe one of the reasons why he eventually left. But anyway, yeah. So, I mean, he was such an inspiration. I mean, that was everything you wanted to be. I mean, I mean, he, you know, it was funny. He was such a good-looking guy. Girls from the Fairhaven High School would walk by and they'd look in the window to watch him work out bare-chested during the summer. You know, it was <laughs> hilarious. I'm like going, uh, you know, it was like he was just such a nice guy. And I, and to this day, he's a he's a wonderful person. He runs a transportation company down in Sedona and uh, became very involved in Aikido for many years. Oh, wow. And just was just just a, a incredible human being. And, and that's it was if, if uh, you know, I had I, I got I had a perfect choice of having my first martial arts official instructor. And that was Ed Hosmer. Very cool. OK. And you said you stayed there until you got to Blue Belt. Now, did did you get into competition at that age or did that come later? Um, no, Fred Valeria tournaments, but I never won. You know, if there was and that, there's a really funny story about that. So, um, you know, if there are three places, I got fourth. If there are four places, I got fifth. I never I never placed it as, as a small child in tournaments. Okay. I only did a couple of them, and that was enough to kind of turn me off for a while. Mm-hmm. But then I started getting involved, like I said, in Kung Fu. I got involved in, in Taekwondo and Tung Sudo. And, and uh, so, um, you know, I started to get interested. And um, at that point, there was an ad in the local paper, and they were looking for uh, students for Kung Fu. I was like, wow, that's interesting seeing this in the paper. So I, I answered the ad and I met up with uh, Chris Vieira and Leo Lassert, who were running uh, a small kung fu classes in the, in the, in the Leo's basement in a, in a fairly rough part of town. I remember they were right down the street from the Sidewinders Motorcycle Club. 
And uh, it was it was kind of a the houses were kind of rough and run down, but I want to learn martial arts. Mm -hmm. And so uh, I met with them and they were doing this hybrid system of Kung Fu and adding in different elements from different martial arts and whatnot. And, you know, I'm like, oh, OK, we're going to learn Nihanshi. Nihanshi is an Okinawan kata. That's not in Kung Fu. What the heck are you talking about? You know, I knew enough about martial arts from reading all the magazines and whatnot. But um, they were both good instructors at what they did. So uh, I stayed with them for a while. And then uh, while all this is going on and I'm training, like I said, five different martial arts simultaneously, I meet my old assistant instructor from USSD, Jim Gagnon. And uh, he says, says he's uh, he's teaching in his in his basement, in his home. And he's like, Joe, how come you never got the black belt? I said, well, Ed left and school went through like four different instructors and then closed. He said, well, would you be interested in learning? Computing? Oh, yeah, I'd love to get my black belt. You bet. So I started training with uh, with Jim. Okay. So Chris and Leo had parted had parted ways, and Leo was just kind of in his studio practicing on his own and whatnot. So I touched base with him. I said, look, I want you to introduce you to a friend of mine who's working on Kempo. And he had a kind of a low opinion of Kempo, which was really funny because he had learned like two completely hybrid systems <laughs> of Kung Fu that like had no lineage whatsoever. But anyway, so I introduced him to Jim and they got along famously. They were both Vietnam veterans. They were both in Vietnam at the same time. They, they, they shared a love for martial arts. So... Leo convinced Jim to move over to his studio in his basement, which was much better off, for lack of a better term. So we started teaching Kempo there. So uh, I was training with him, and uh, there was another gentleman, Ron Valier. And in January of 1983, all three of us tested for our black belt together with Jim Gagnon. Okay. Can you talk about that test a little bit? Yeah, it was a, now, you know, when I hear people talk about different tests that they've had, mm -hmm. and they've done like, oh, I did an hour and a half test. I said, my test was eight hours long. Wow. We went over all the forms, all the all the forms, all the techniques, all the reps, everything. But, completely, but then there were the head games. Now, in the old days in USSD, they were infamous for their hazing. You know, they would do a testing and they put you in a horse dance against the wall and kind of fake throw shurikens at you like they were really throwing them at you and doing all this. Really, I mean, I always Rebella's law of of martial arts testing. The amount of hazing is directly disproportionate to the amount of material actually given in a martial arts system. <laughs> Meaning if you're wasting your time doing stuff like that, I guess you really don't have a lot of stuff to teach somebody or test somebody yet. Okay. You know, when I, cause when I tested with Ed Parker, there was none of that. It was like you, the material was more than enough. Right. But, but anyway, going back to that test, there were a couple of interesting things. Like for instance, at one point we had to grapple and, all three of us would stand against the wall, and then one person would be called up. Now, we had one guy, Ron Valier. Now, Ron was six foot five, and my instructor was maybe five eight. And so, as we stand while we have and the moment you got dropped to the ground, you, you failed that portion of the test. So this is like not even 15 seconds and Ron's already on the ground. So so we're thinking, oh, this is this is going to be fun. So then Leo goes up about 30 seconds boom, to the ground. Now, I'm thinking, okay, this is really going to be fun. Now, what I didn't know, I found out after the test, is he had set it up with Ron Valier that Ron would fall by himself after 10 seconds to put the doubt in our minds. <laughs> now, Leo had literally got thrown in within 30 seconds. Mm -hmm. But, you know, I had studied a little like, you know, with Sensei, and I had, I had worked with other people in, in grappling arts, and I was like, I knew how to check somebody off. You push on their shoulder, you push on the hip, they can't get delivered, they can't even go close to throw you unless they get you in, in a wrist lock or armbar. So I'm so I come up and I'm going, no. Every time goes here, hit my hip, no. You hit my shoulder, no. <laughs> Two minutes, bip, time up. Never got to throw me. Nice. So another head game. Okay, so I have an egg. I want you to hit this egg 
with a martial arts technique without breaking it. Pulls out a small bottle of Tester's paint, gold. It says, put your tip of your finger on there. Put those, so I'll know you hit it by seeing the dot of gold from your strike. Okay. <laughs> One guy comes up, tries to, tries to hit it with a spear hand, a full power spear hand, breaks it. Leo comes up, tries to do a whipping dragon tail whip, breaks it. <laughs> he walks up, dips the thing. I look at him and go, okay, touch. He goes, you, you passed the test. <laughs> so you didn't have to hit it hard. All I asked you to do was make a martial arts technique. I took a one-finger spear, and I touched it like you would touch an eyeball. Nice. Touch somebody with an eyeball, guess what? They're going to close their eye. You know, it's <laughs> common sense. Yeah. Yeah, so those were that's that's the kind of stuff that went on. I mean, besides all the physical, you know, stuff that we had to do, mm-hmm. the the calisthenics, and that's another big one on me. You know, about testing, I'm like, you know, the the yeah, this has always been my thing. I've I've learned advanced martial. I've learned, I've learned sixty martial arts in my life, and I was just I was just talking you off air when we talked about this gentleman who contacted me. You claim to have studied sixty, you know, I said I don't claim to have black belts in sixty martial arts. I claim to have studied. 60 mm-hmm. martial arts in my life. Now that could be the yellow belt or orange belt or midline rank. I mean, not, I don't have black belts in 60 martial arts. Right. I have them in 26 and that blows a lot of people's minds. Just that. Yeah. But going back to that, you know, after we got our black belts, you know, I wanted to compete. And in late time, 1979, when I was studying with Leo in this, I learned a Kung Fu form called Lee Wan Kung from the Silum system. In fact, uh, Leo Fong wrote a book on it. And uh, I went to compete at the AAU national, uh, the AAU local tournament, which was held in New Bedford, Mass. And um, before that, like I said, I if there were three places, I got fourth and fourth place. Well, I competed in this tournament in New Bedford, and um, I didn't place in forms, but I placed second in sparring, and that was enough points to get me to the AAU nationals. And that after I won that first trophy, that first award, I went to the AAU nationals, didn't place, but then started getting involved in the open circuit, namely Crane. Uh, the Karate Referees Association of New England mm-hmm. and the PKL, the Professional Karate League, which was run by Glenn Hart. And um, 1983, after Leo got Leo and I and Gerard got on black belts, Leo did something very important, and he had perfect timing in doing it. Though he didn't know, he contacted Ed Parker because we didn't know that we weren't learning Ed Parker's Kempo. We didn't realize Ed Parker's Kempo system was completely different. Right. So Leo contacted Ed Parker. Now, at the time, Nick Serio, who had been in the IKK back in 1969 and then left, along with Doreen and Tony Cogliandro, uh, Don Rodriguez, before he married Christine, you know, they had contacted Ed Parker at the same time. So, you know, we're training in the basement, you know, after I'd got my black belt working out with Leo and some material for our next degree. And his little old white-haired mother used to give us Kool-Aid after training. <laughs> opens up the door upstairs from the basement and goes, Leo, Ed Parker's on the phone for you. <laughs> and we look at each other like you just told us Jesus Christ just called on the floor. Wow. So we rush up the stairs like something out of a Warner Brothers cartoon, leaving a smoke trail behind us. <laughs> you know. Nice. And Leo's talking to Ed Parker on the phone, and I'm listening, overhearing with every single word and hanging on everything that Ed Parker said. And uh, we find out that he's coming to New England, and he's going to start teaching in New England. So. We get right on it and we find a tournament that he's going to attend and we go to meet him. And this is 19. We first joined the IKK in 1983 to 84 Okay, and uh, got to work with Mr. Parker. He would come in and teach seminars. And I was hooked. I was hooked because the first seminar we ever took, I was in the show, I go, Leo, it's Kung Fu. We do this stuff. 
this is this is a this is a Chinese based system of Kempo. And it's obvious it's a Chinese based system of Kempo. So we were ecstatic. So we would we joined the IKK, the International Kempo Karate Association, and got Big Red, the accumulative journal, and started going over the material. Now I want to clarify a very important point, Brian, mm-hmm. that at this time, everyone in New England was at the same point in Kempo. Meaning that because we had studied the Nick Siri, the George Pisari, Nick Serio, Fred Valari lineage of Kempo, this was all new to us. So all the people that were involved with the IKA, they were the same, but we were. They were learning at the same time. It wasn't a matter where they all knew all the material, all the black, and we did it. Uh-uh. No, we were all learning at the exact same time. Okay. So because of that, you know, we I wanted to learn more. And um, I got involved with the uh, a local racquetball club. And I was teaching it, and I was switching over to Mr. Parker's system. And the owners of the place really enjoyed the classes. And they were like, how can you open a commercial credit school? And I said, never had the capital. I go, you do now. And they ba- they were backing me for a school. Wow. And I said, well, if we're going to do it, and I was working with Mr. Parker. And so, you know, I was following him around every time we would do a seminar. I'd follow him around like a groupie. I'd get him my little Dodge Dart. <laughs> 1969 Dodge Dart, and I'd drive all over New England, take whatever seminars I could, learn whatever I could from him. And, you know, he was like, if you have a question, don't be afraid to write it down or ask me. So I took him at his word, and I'd write things down about techniques and forms as I was learning it and going over the material. And um, I talked to my owners, and I wanted to open an Ed Parker franchise. So we had a meeting with Mr. Parker at a particular school, and the instructor at that school was so upset that we were, quote, unquote, bypassing him, in his opinion, he wouldn't even let us in the school. We, we had to have the meeting out in the Cadillac of the owners. It was hilarious. But um, unfortunately, the deal didn't fall, didn't go through, and it felt my my backers didn't want to do that. But um, Mr. Parker never forgot how much I wanted to learn and how badly I wanted to learn, how, how much I was willing to to do an Ed Parker franchise. Mm-hmm. So uh, you know, I would follow him around, and I would I would train with him wherever I could. Of course, I trained with the local instructors who were also learning the system at that time, and just kept working on, on Mr. Parker's system and uh, started to compete using Mr. Parker's forms and placing nice. and. I ended up being the first person who was ever ranked in New England doing Ed Parker's forms. And mind you, I was competing a lot of times if it wasn't if there wasn't a separate tempo division because Crane was experimenting with that, I'd enter soft style because of the Chinese influence. So here I am, I'm competing against Richie Brandon, who later on would become Yin Yang Man for WMAC Masters. Yep. I'd compete against Ho Sung Park, who later would become Liu Kang from the first two video games of Mortal Kombat. Uh, you know, I mean, these were the people I was competing against. And it was real interesting because one day we're at McDonald's and we're talking about where we're going to go next. Mm-hmm. And I thought, oh, man, if only I had a camera that I could talk about their life and career. And that became the impetus for me wanting to do a TV show. And um, there was a local martial artist and musician, uh, Mikey Antunes. Uh, Tunes was uh, uh, the saxophone player from John Cafferty. The Beaver, Beaver Brown Band. Band. I've seen them in concert. Yep. <laughs> yeah, great. Yep. great so band. he was, and he was also featured at Andy and the Cruisers 1 yep. and 2. He played so Wendell. So being of Cape Verdean heritage and also being a, a, a martial artist who trained with Dave Arundel, he had a TV show that he used to do, and he would put a small self-defense segment on it. So I asked him, I said, you know, what made you start up the show and whatnot? So I went down to my local cable system, and they were like, oh, it cost you $5, $500 an episode to get a sponsor, blah, 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 blah. Well, at the time, in Black Belt Magazine, there was a guy, Ken Ferrer, who used to be uh, the news anchor for KTLA in Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. And he was talking about a program he did called Martial Arts Today and how he did it on public access and whatnot. 
So I started looking up public access and I contacted Tom Beck. I said, tell me about public access. So I was talking to him about it and he goes, I tell the story, he's like, Joe, did they offer public access? I said, yeah, I mentioned it, but they said the cameras were broken and they really weren't going to work. I said, really? He says, hey, Joe, do me a favor, pull out your cable bill. Okay, take a look. Do you have something called an access fee or franchise fee? Yeah, right here, access fee. How much is it? The three bucks. How many people would you say have cable? I'd say about half the city. How many people in New Bedford? Well, about 100,000 to 150,000. Why? He says, Joe, according to the the federal government, that money, a portion of that money is supposed to go directly toward public access. Yep. Really? Wow. 75,000 times three every month. (laughs) So I see the head of the city council at that time, George Rogers, and I tell him this wonderful story. And I finish up. I said, yeah, George. And if you look, the federal government's endorsed not just for public access, but for educational access and government access, where they record city council meetings. Hey, George, I wonder where all that money's going. <laughs> Turn around, walk away. <laughs> you know, nice. next to the city council meeting is George Rogers going off about where's all that money going? And where's most of having all there? So um, eventually the city got around to doing an entire public access channel as well as a government educational access channel, mm-hmm. uh, creating a multi-million dollar studio in the city of New Bedford. But in the early days, I was just working off two VCRs and an Amiga video toaster. Amiga, and nice. The first interview I, yeah. And the first interview I ever did, okay. Jeff Speakman. Nice. Now, I never told Jeff he was the first one. Yeah. But I got him on the show, and that's how it all started. And you can watch that episode on YouTube. It's still, I put it on YouTube purposely. It's the first program on Marshall Austin Today Television, which has now been on the air, Brian, mm-hmm. for 33 years. Wow. So I, I got to tell you, literally... <laughs> Three feet away from me is an Amiga 2000. <laughs> no. Oh, my gosh. I'm a, I'm a diehard. I grew up on a Commodore 64. Uh, I oh. got a Commodore 64 when I was 12. I got my first Amiga 500 in high school, bought an Amiga 2000 in college. I still have a Commodore 64 and three Amigas. <laughs> well, I got to give credit where credit is due. I can't take the credit for the Amiga. That goes to a friend of mine's, Mark Correa. Yeah. And I met Mark when he was 18 years old and his brother... And, uh, and Mark and I used to play Dungeons and Dragons nice. back in the uh, late 1970s and um, or, or I should say uh, mid 1970s, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, mid 1970s. And uh, yeah, so he was the one who had the Amiga video toast and there's a wonderful image of two dragons facing each other. Like I said, you go back to that episode, you'll see that image from the Amiga video toast nice. that uh, opens the show. I will be checking and, that uh, out. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah. So uh, he was the one who helped me with that in the in the infancy of the program and. Um, now we have a YouTube channel uh, presently with over 180 videos. Uh, I do numerous uh, videos on on all the different martial arts that I've studied. I mean, I got to work with so many great people. I mean, people like Randy Priestess. Uh, I was working with Mr. Parker, and in 1985, I asked him, this is before the creation of the double club form or what became Form 7 and this knife form becoming uh, Form 8. I said, you know, who would you recommend for stick work? When a moment's hesitation, he said, Randy Priestess. Immediately, rugby priestess, that's what I would recommend. Well, at the time, there was a gentleman, uh, Dave Hoffman, who was starting to bring in Remy to uh, Massachusetts up in Beverly. So I got to work with him at that point. And, um, you know, when I first met him, took my first seminar with him, he was like, you know, why are you here? And I said, Ed Parker. Oh, Ed Parker. Ed Parker is my friend. I taught it. I, I demonstrated uh, Anis at the internationals. I said, yes, sir. He recommended you. Oh, that's wonderful. You know, so. Uh, got to work with with uh, Remy Priestess and would follow I follow him to different seminars. 
but I never took rank. I, I, I didn't go to the camps. I focused on the seminars and my students, I would train everything that I learned from Remy. And, you know, he put out a series of instructional videos at that time and taught the whole curriculum with that. Mm-hmm. So my student would go to the camps and they'd be like, you guys got everything to black belt. I mean, we'd test you for black belt. The highest rank we could promote you is high green. Who's teaching it? Joe Rebello. Well, who's, who's he learning from? Remy Priestess. Mr. Priestess. Our best Priestess. <laughs> That's cool. And it, it's real funny because uh, years later, uh, when my, again, I had my television program, it was well on its way. Several years had been on the air. And, uh, so I go to a seminar that professor priestess was doing and he was doing with George Dillman and, uh, it was supposed to be Wally J, but Wally, had, uh, Wally had taken six. So Leon J was there. But anyway, at the end of the seminar, I did an interview with professor priestess. Now, normally my interview is like 10, 15 minutes, but how often do you get run to priestess talking about a life and career? Mm-hmm. So it ended up being an almost hour long interview. And then he did a demonstration at the end. Well, come to find out, this would be the last video interview that Remy Priestess would ever do. Wow. He Shortly after that, he went to Germany and was diagnosed with a brain tumor and then passed away uh, sometime after that. Dang. So, you know, I had this footage and uh, I kind of was sitting on it for a while. And I decided, you know, it's been a few years and Professor Priestess sadly passed away in 2000, 2000 2001. I'm trying mm-hmm. to remember, like, 2001. And um, I... Um, I was involved with Marshall Talk for the minds. Rob Hubbard started Marshall Talk yep. and uh, different incarnations of it on the Internet. So um, I put out that I had this interview and uh, immediately I get this uh, this gentleman from Europe who's with modern Chinese who shall remain nameless. Contacts me. Oh, how dare you put this out? And, you know, you need you need the authorization of the priestess family to even put this out and get the OK for this. Blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, this is news to me. So but by the same token. I'm getting first generation black belts contacting me like Dan Anderson, super Dan Anderson and Kelly Warden. And they're like, Hey, tell me about this. Tell me about this interview you got with Remy. So, and I'm asking a whopping 25 bucks. Like nobody's going to break this spinal column. I'm paying that for that. Yeah. So uh, I send one to him and Kelly Warden. Kind of, well, you know, you don't, well, you know, you don't have the longest interview. I do. I go video. Wait, wait, it's video. <laughs> Yeah. Well, what is it? 15, 20 minutes, 20, you know, it's an hour. An hour? You got Remy to sit for an hour and talk about, really? Can I buy the DVD? Of course you can. Nice. And now when they get them, they come, how'd you get them? What? How? This is amazing. How'd you know what to ask him? These stories are great. This is stuff I never heard from Remy. This is awesome, Joe. Man, you got to put this out. This is great. Dan Anderson, Joe, this is phenomenal. This is great. Joe, can I quote this in my next book? Well, come to find out, that simple interview I do to Remy Priestess has now been quoted in seven Filipino martial arts books. Wow, that's cool. And that's the stuff that makes it all worthwhile. You know what I mean? Yep. You know, get to talk about it. And, and because I have my huge my, the martial arts collection you mentioned at the beginning of the show, mm-hmm. I had all this reference material. So when I interviewed someone, it wasn't like, okay, well, what's this karate stuff? No, it was like, look, in 1983, when you did this article in Black Belt Magazine, you stated this. Or when you did the seminar and at this point, or when you worked with these particular students, what motivated you? And it was like, I always knew I did my job when I get the following statement from my guest. How do you know that? <laughs> Why do you know that? You know. So um, in my course of doing all this, um, at one point, I meet up with Alan Goldberg. Mm-hmm. And Alan Goldberg runs the Action Martial Arts Magazine. Yep. So he's at the Ocean State Grand Nationals. So I, start, so I said, can I do a short interview with you? So we start talking, and I mentioned about his, and I mentioned about his early career studying uh, uh, 
uh, originally five animal style Kung Fu and then Wing Chun with, with uh, uh, Jason Lau and how they basically formed the first version of the Guardian Angels before the Guardian before the Guardian Angels, where they used to wear black berets and patrol uh, the subway to stop people from being assaulted and attacked. Mm-hmm. And uh, and uh, I, I mentioned to him how he was featured one time on the Montel Williams show on WPIX, where he actually questioned the credentials of an instructor going over women's self-defense and questioned his credentials as a women's self-defense instructor. And he's like, you saw that? <laughs> it's like, yeah, my cable system, Quality Cable, carries WPIX. And you saw that. And you remember that. And years later, he would joke around. Yeah, he was saying so much stuff about me. I thought I'd have to kill him. <laughs> <laughs> nice. So uh, he gets involved with podcasting and starts up with the Action Martial Arts Power Hour. So um, I get on like one of the introductory shows as a guest. And I believe, I'm trying to remember who it was with. It was with Martin Cove. That's right, Martin Cove. Yep. So I was asking him about his work on a movie he did called Steel Justice, where... Uh, he learned the uh, double wakazashis from a German, Michael Piscina, who uh, many years later, in recent, in the last couple of years, I've been working with and studying with Okinawa Tei, the legacy of Gordon Demasola, his particular system, which he calls uh, Tei Kempo Jiu-Jitsu. I've been working with him, but I asked about that question, and Martin talked for like 15 minutes about it. So uh, Alan Goldberg texts me via um, IM. He goes, uh, want a job? And I became one of the co-hosts of Action Martial Arts Power Hour. And at least half a dozen occasions, the guest for that particular show would call Alan after the show and go, who is this Kenpo Joe guy and how does he know all this stuff about me? <laughs> My favorite example is Tayati Kessel doing that because I was mentioning all this stuff and he was so shocked. I knew all this stuff about him and knew about the highlights of his career and all these different things. And he calls Alan. He's like, who is this guy? And when we finally got to meet, it was like, this is amazing that you remember all this. Thank you so much. And they're so grateful because I get to talk about their life and career and the highlights of their career. You know, Brian, I had a recent incident, not, not an incident. It was a wonderful experience where um, I, uh, when I, I started getting involved with the uh, martial arts mega weekend, the action martial arts mega weekend about nine years ago. And um, uh, eventually became the uh, master of ceremonies for their mega weekends uh, trade show. And we have 100 vendors. This year, we had nine martial arts tournaments, everything including women's collegiate wrestling, freestyle wrestling to arm wrestling. And um, a Kyokushin tournament, open point tournament. I mean, I mean, it's just amazing. Over 50 seminars, including free seminars. You only paid for the trade show, and all the seminars are free. And we're talking Cynthia Rothrock, Donna Dragon Wilson in the past, Michael Jai White, Bill Superfoot Wallace. You know, it was a who's who of martial artists. And three martial artists every 45 minutes teaching their skills over three days. Amazing. That's cool. Well, Mike DePasquale used to run and oversee the Martial Arts Hall of Honors, which was their version of the Hall of Fame. This year, we only had 47 countries represented. Last year, we had 57 countries represented worldwide. Jeez. And the podium is like a who's who in martial arts. It's Cynthia Rothrock. It's Don the Dragon Wilson. It's Shoni Carter. It's Chuck Zito. It's Tayati Cassell. It's Michael Jai White. I mean, you know, it's Stephen Hayes. It's uh, Vic Moore was there as a special guest this year. I mean, it, it, you know, it, it's, it's a martial arts who's who. And um, Mike DePasquale used to be the announcer. Unfortunately, he had a recent medical incident happen. And uh, so when Alan Goldberg was talking, we started Alan Goldberg. He says, don't do it. <laughs> so I've taken over it. And um, it's amazing. But uh, I give a little speech about each person before they come up on stage. 
So uh, Linda Dentley was there last year. So uh, I start talking. I said, uh, you know, and I go over like about a five minutes, about three minute speech about their life and career and whatnot. And after the event, Linda comes up to me and grabs me by the arm. And she says, that was the most wonderful dissertation about my life and career I have ever heard. I should hire you as my agent. That was amazing. I can't believe all the things that you remember about my life and career. And that's what makes it all worthwhile. That's what makes, that's how I know I did my job. And that really is what makes me a martial arts historian. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. Alan Goldberg says he's not Kepo Joe. He's Wikipedia Joe. You want to know something about martial arts? You go ask Joe. <laughs> and that's what makes it all worthwhile. And that's, you know, I continuously learning martial arts. Mm-hmm. Always. I'm still learning to this day. I'm always learning new martial arts. I'm I'm focusing right now, like I said, I'm learning, working on Gordon DeVasilla's system. I'm working on trying to uh, get different people so I can start learning Lima Lama. You know, I, when you looked at my resume that I sent you, mm-hmm. I mean, you'll see uh, my, my just recently, just last year, got my second degree black belt in modern Arnis. Okay. Um, I had tested for decades and just, you know, everybody was like, Joe, you got the system. How come you never tested? And I just said, you know, I was informed and I won't mention the individuals that, that I was at an event and whatnot. And they were like, there are no ranks in Filipino martial arts. So I never tested for rank. So when I finally got around to it, and a uh, acquaintance of mine, Tim Hartman, who I've known for years, mm-hmm. his what his assistants and, and also high ranking modernist practitioner, Ty, Ty, he had contacted uh, him and said, you know, let's test Joe. And they contacted me about it. It was like, yeah, sure. I have all the material. And I made sure in front of the board, there were several board members that were from New England who knew me back then. So I'm going above and beyond the call of duty. If we're doing the Sinawali train drills, I drop the one knee, I drop the both knees to come back up. And they're pointing at me. Gee, look what I was doing, you know, because I wanted them to have absolutely no doubt in their mind that I knew my material. That's cool. And that's the way my life's been, you know, always learning, always growing. Mm -hmm. And um, in my later years now, they talk about ego, no egos and whatnot. And I say, no, the positive side of ego, you know, where ego is, et cetera. Ego is an acronym. Ego stands for everyone's golden opportunity. Nice. And that's the key. You know, don't, I mean, if you had no ego, you never test for rank ever. Right. You'd see no need for it. You'd never progress because there's no need. You'd you learn that's it. In the old days in Kung Fu, there were no sashes or belts. It was based on time. Mm-hmm. That's what Kung Fu translates to, time, hard work, and acquired skill. Those are the little translations for Kung Fu, depending on the characters. So, you know, for me, it was like I was just learning. Very you know, cool. I just I checked up to the ranks. But after a while, I did test. And after a while, they were like, I get elevated to higher, much higher ranks. Why? I never tested. <laughs> but I had all the material. And everybody knew I knew the material. You know, I never thought I'd be a 10th degree black belt, yeah. let alone in four martial arts systems. It's insane. Yeah. And I see people on the internet going going crazy about it. But there's no way you gotta live 400 years, or you gotta be me. <laughs> you got you gotta have a 162 IQ, a photographic, and recently informed a photoidentic or identic memory, and you gotta not have a life. I gotta ask you, look, looking at your resume, the the black belt in Taekwondo, which system, which style of Taekwondo? I'm because that's my core system, so I, I was curious about what other systems of Taekwondo people. You are bet. In. I trained with John Gabriel, who trained, who studied Taekwondo with the World Ta- uh, Taekwondo Association, the old one, way yeah. back when, with uh, uh, Master Cheng Lu, who was uh, at one point was General Choi's or General Che's representative for Taekwondo for Taiwan. Okay. And uh, what I was informed is that he and Che studied together under Don Il, who was the Korean calligrapher who originally taught both of them Taekyong. Now, Lu's family, Lu, 
was mainland China's ambassador to Korea. And when together they fought later on with Mao against against the Japanese in World War Two, but then Mao started communists. So so that Sen and his, and uh, the Mandarins who didn't want to lose their homes and their money mm-hmm. were like, we're out of here. We're immigrating to Formosa. Let's go. So uh, his father immigrated to Formosa and he studied different kung fu systems because they were rich Mandarins. And when Chase said to him, contact, look, I got this thing tight. You were there. You were there for some of the occupation. You know, we had to study Japanese and we I've incorporated that with uh, with Taekyong and formulated Taekwondo. Would you teach my art to the military? And uh, I guess he liked it because it was simple. It was something you teach easily teach military forces. So that's how it came in. Like I said, John worked on the B-52 bomber radar systems. So they taught in the military basis. So we learned Taekwondo. Nice. And then Cheng Lu afterwards started incorporating more of this Kung Fu. And he would use the term Taekwondo, which was the Taiwanese pronunciation of Taekwondo. But with him, it was more than that. Mm-hmm. So he incorporated these different Kung Fu systems that he made eight master sets that were taught. Now, John had many famous students. They were AAU champions. They were open point tournament champions. Uh, one of his most famous students was David Collins, who was a member originally of the Spider-Man uh, team, which later became the John Paul Mitchell team. Mm-hmm. So he was part of the original team, John Paul Mitchell, and would compete all over the country and all over the world representing a Taekwondo. So as a, you had to learn Taekwondo, you had to learn the nine forms of Taekwondo before you could learn Taekwondo. Nice. So it was mainly the the Chung Kwan system with Chongji, Dangun, you know, Kyoho, you know, that that lineage of forms. Okay. And also, and also, um, we also learned uh, the Paogu, uh, the Paogu forms as well. Oh, yep, that's what, that's what our school, our school still does the the Paogu forms. So <laughs> that's what I've been doing since '92. We the system we're in has the. Uh, the Taeguk, but I know my instructor is not a fan of them, so we don't really do those. Well, you know what? The whole thing about the Taeguk, so this is the martial arts historian me. Mm-hmm. The Taeguk forms really embrace more of the Korean orientation. Remember, right? All the the earlier forms, even though there were like you know, um, you know whether whether you you went from Juri's lineage with with Chong Dian up uh, with uh, Chong Dequan, or you went through uh, like when Kim Su put out the uh, the Paogu books through horror publications, which by the way are being republished as we speak. Really, Don Warner from Don Warner's publications mm-hmm. has gotten the authorization from Century, who bought Black Belt Magazine. And O'Hara Publications, they have given the rights to to Don to republish the entire O'Hara Book Library. Wow! So all those books are coming back out. Matter of fact, uh, he just offered Remy Priestess's book over at the Action Event, as well as several other texts that have already been published. Mm-hmm. So Warner Publications, Don Warner Publications, will be republishing all the O'Hara publication books. That's awesome. Yeah, incredible. And I interviewed Don. I tried to get Don on my show. He's he's unfortunately one of one of the few that actually wasn't interested. Yeah, he's he's busy at a one-legged man. Believe me, it <laughs> exactly. took me a lot. It took me a lot to get we were I got an interview with him at Dragon Fest. Oh, okay. And I was like, Don, we gotta interview you. And we started talking, he mentioned a couple of facts about his career. And he was like, Okay. <laughs> so we sat down and and that it's got a great interview. It's gonna be airing um matter of fact, uh, I believe it's airing this month on my cable systems, oh, cool. but it'll be on YouTube within the next sixty days okay. because the two people I'm interviewing, and if you're a martial artist and martial arts historian, you know these men, Don Warner and Emil Farkas. Nice. So we're gonna talk about I put requests to both of them to get them. I haven't heard back from uh, Mr. Farkas yet. 
I'll put in a good word for you. I appreciate it. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I do, man. I'm on, I'm, I'm, I'm a networking kind of guy. You know what I mean? That's so I have to ask since you, you, I mean, obviously, you know, so much about martial arts and history and everything and and all these styles. I'm curious if you, so our grandmaster in the system of Taekwondo I study is grandmaster Mu Young Yun, 10th degree black belt. Ever run across that name? He started in Chicago, then moved to Fargo, North Dakota, and kind of launched his career in the early seventies in in uh, Fargo, North Dakota. And that's where now. Most, this is most not the his... man. This is not this is not the man who's a great master of uh, uh, Do and Mumu Kwan, correct? Or is he? He would have been under is either Sung Mu Kwan or Chung Mu Kwan. I'm trying to remember. What okay. Day. Yeah. Yeah, that was one of the orientations. Chung Kwan is one of the orientations that I had learned from John Gabriel. Yep. Like I said, uh, you know, and you know, it's really interesting because back then, like, I mean, you know, what is Kwan? Kwan is training hall mm-hmm. in Chinese, in, in Cantonese, it's Kwan, and in Mandarin, it's Kwan. Yep. And uh, Chung Mu, well, Mu, I would say it's it's Wu Wu Wu, baby. People, <laughs> what do you mean? I go Wu Shu, Wu Jutsu, Mu Sul. Those are the terms from Chinese, Japanese, and Korean for martial arts. So Mu is martial. Chung is center. Like China is Chung Wu, the middle kingdom. You know, you look at the character for middle, you take a piece of paper you, you, and you stick a brush through the middle of it. It looks like a sail on a sailboat when you look at the character. That's middle or center because mm-hmm. the Chinese believe themselves to be the center of the civilized world. So Chung Mu Quan is the center of martial training hall, meaning the center of the martial arts. And I say, I tell people, you know, and so, you know, Musul, you know, like, like Yusul is jujitsu. Mm-hmm. Musul is martial arts. You know, I do Kenpo. Korean version of Kenpo is Kwamba, Taekwondo. Kwan is fist. Bop is law. Kwamba. So would, you know, you look at the orientation of that, but um, not right off the top of my head. But then again, okay. Korean martial arts, a lot, my long suit, right. meaning, meaning of all the, of all people say, of all the martial arts, what's the one you know the least about historically? as far as individuals. And I would say Korean. Okay. And, you know, I mean, nothing against that, you know, but the beauty of this now I would go back. So I'd go back through his lineage and I'd look through all the Taekwondo times I have and all the traditional Taekwondo times and all the different, you know, and I'd contact different people and look at different stories, you know, like when I mentioned about Kwon Bok, Korea is a lost legacy. And I mentioned about this one particular style, have their founder learning Kwon Bok and teaching it want to hire people from this organization. Oh, no, that's not true. I'm going, I've got interviews with your own master admitting to it. I said, don't you do these techniques? And I pointed to a video I did, which again, here's one for you to check out. Kwon Bok, Korea's Kempo Legacy on my YouTube channel. Watch it and look at your Hoshin Sul, which in Japanese would be Goshin Jitsu, your self-defense techniques. Hmm. Now, in the art of Tung Sudo, they have 90 of them. And I state that it's 3-3-3, meaning 30% is Okinawan, a Japanese-based karate, 30% is Taikyon, and, and 30% is Kwamba, which is Korean Genpo. Okay. And I show specific examples so that you, way you can go look back through your martial arts techniques and go, oh my gosh, that's a Kenpo technique. <laughs> oh my gosh, that's a Kenpo technique. As a matter of fact, Brian, I was just featured in the spring 2023 issue of Masters Magazine. And if you remember, when Masters Magazine was put out on the newsstands like in Barnes & Noble, it was the only magazine that was sealed in plastic because it also included a DVD. Yeah, I remember that. 
Now, that's put out by Val Majelovic, uh, who was originally from Serbia, and he came to America and studied traditional karate. And he used to be the person who used to do the video distribution for a lot of the major studios out in California. Okay. So he would do this, the video distributions for Disney and for Columbia. Different, they need to bring in their master copies of the, on the film, and then he would transfer it to VHS, and then later DVD. So he's a lifelong martial artist. So he decided, and he was also involved in publishing. So he decided to create Masters Magazine. Well, now you can get Masters Mag, the hard copy of it through Amazon. It's like $20. And you get to get a DVD with highlights of the, some different articles. It's Actually, it's two DVDs in one. So you get a PDF of the magazine. And then you get another one, which is a, a DVD showing video segments because he also got involved. He was in video production for decades. Okay. So he does all the video production. I was down there for Dragon Fest. I did an interview with him. He was like very impressed. Matter of fact, if all goes well, I'll be on the front cover later on this year. Nice. We just did a big four-page article in the spring issue called What Makes It Tempo? Okay. And uh, we also did a video segment on it as well. We'll be doing another one in the future for the magazine. Nice. But yeah, but that's that's what goes on. That's okay. that's that. This is my job. Welcome to my job. This is my life. Well, I have a you know, uh, I have a little bit of homework for you. Then after we're done, the January nineteen eighty five sure. issue of Take Yeah, Window definitely Times. check out. Yeah, send your send your send your submit's name and uh, yep. so does he run his own organization or what organization? Well, he, he's, 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 re- he's retired now. So my actual instructor, eighth degree Grandmaster um, Jim Grimstead, his instructor was Grandmaster Mu Young Yun. He's he's retired, but he was on the cover of Taekwondo Times January nineteen eighty five. They had a feature story on him. So oh no problem. So yeah. I have that issue. I have a complete collection. I have it somewhere. I think I still have it. I know I had two copies, and at least one copy got destroyed when our house got flooded. So oh, I'm, I'm hoping I still have the other copy somewhere. Uh, <laughs> let me see. see if I've got it. Let me see if I can find you another copy. Yeah, yeah. I, I'd appreciate it. I, I have that. Have I have one. stuff like that happen all the time. Nice, yeah, there's nice. a, so there's, there's a real funny story about that magazine. So many years ago, I was approached by Bob Leakey. Now, Bob Leakey, uh, many people will know through his uh, column in Karate International Magazine, which was Mike DePasquale's publication. Uh, they also will know him through the series of, uh, of videos he did for Pants Productions on the Art of Aikido. Okay. So um, he contacted me about doing a comparative study project where he was going to have John Wooten, who was at one point the world's strongest man. He was a judo jiu-jitsu player as well. Uh, he had done a movie called The Black Belt Priest. That was really interesting. And it was going to be him doing, they were going to do jiu-jitsu, judo, and he had a high, and, uh, aikido. So Bob was going to do the aikido. John was going to do the jiu-jitsu, and they had an elderly gentleman who was a well-known judo coach that was going to do the judo. So he's visiting my school to discuss the project. He goes, yeah, you know, I worked for uh, American Karate Magazine. Yeah, it was nine issues, 14. No, no, Joe, Joe, there was nine at 14. Joe, yeah, hold on. Boom. Here's a complete run. So, I never got paid for that article. <laughs> Bob, that's why you think there's nine. <laughs> and uh, so, you know, I mean, I, I do stuff like that. And, and, you know, this is my job. Welcome to my job. It's a fun, and, fun uh, job. Oh, it's a great job. I do what I love. I love what I do, and I get to do it for a living. How many people can say that? Not many, unfortunately. So I, yeah. I, I wish I could. So if I could, if I could yeah. turn this into my career, I'd do it in a heartbeat. There you go, right? So, yeah, definitely. And so, and you know, it's a funny thing. You know, I never thought in a million years, a little little chubby 12-year-old you know, Joe Rebello at United Studios as, as an orange belt would ever become a grandmaster in the martial arts, you know? Yeah. And um, someone asked me the other day, they were like, well, what's it take to be a grandmaster? I looked and said, your instructors die. And that wasn't the response he expected, but it's, it's part, but sad, but true. Yeah. 
you know, I've had I've 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 had men laying on their deathbed hours away from the end of their own life in tears, looking at me, going, Joe, if only I let you record more. If only I I had instructed. No, you can't film this seminar. No, you can't film this. Mm-hmm. Looking at me dying, going, you know, where's my legacy going to be after I die? You know, I want you to take over the system in one case. And I sat there and said, uh, well, what about this other student? He's been with you longer. He won't do anything with it. You will. And um, I start to choke up because I'm going to get out of my chair. I'm at my studio right now. And I'm going to turn around and I'm going to look at this line of photos that hangs above my uh, place of honor. And um, one of my instructors one time was visiting. He goes, take me off the wall. <laughs> uh, German Carlos Fabrez, who ran uh, the uh, Nindaru system of martial arts, nine shadows in Nindaru, nine, nine styles of martial arts under it, over 45 schools worldwide at one point. He says, take me off the wall. I said, why do you want me to take you off the wall? It's a wall of dead men. I go, Sensei, not everybody on that wall is dead. <laughs> I pointed. <laughs> but two years ago, he died. Oh, wow. And I look at the wall of dead men. That's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Yeah, at least 10 of them are dead. You know, so many, so many memories, so many experiences and wanting to learn and train and study and grow as a martial artist. Mm-hmm. I never thought I'd get to 10th degree black belt. I never thought, you know, the heck that's, that's, you know, it's a funny story. I was at a seminar with Tadashi Yamashita and in Nindo Rue at the particular rank I had, they were talking about, uh, I was a uh, six degree, uh, six or seventh degree black belt in Okinawa weaponry. Mm-hmm. through uh, the Nindaru organization, still studying, learning. And uh, I was wearing a red and white panel belt. So Yamashita walks up to uh, Mike Burton, who was uh, brought him in for a seminar. He goes, well, who the guy would go with, with, uh, with checker belt? Say, checker belt for all, little old man sitting chair at test. <laughs> and it was funny. And I, like, and I was like, you know, explained who I was and who I'd studied with. And um, years later, I would see him in a seminar for, and it was a, a Nick Serial Memorial event. And my instructor had told me a story about Yamashita being in Puerto Rico when he was doing his famous double commas on rope and he was up on a wooden stage and the blades were sharp and he felt one of the blades stick in the wooden floor. So he yanked to pull it out of the floor. It wasn't the floor. It was the callous section of his heel that was so calloused over. He didn't feel it. And he pulled up and he cut himself from his heel all the way up to almost the end of his calf muscle, almost into his inner thigh. Dang. So, well, man, that's a story and a half. So I see Yamashita Sensei. And I was fascinated with an art he does called Sui Kendo, which basically is his version of Kenpo. Mm-hmm. And actually, he had worked on Lima Lama with uh, uh, Tino Tilio Sega and another gentleman, Joe Covington, and formed the, the Complex, which is a series of 65 techniques, I believe, that comprise Sui Kendo in the system. And it's so different from the Kobayashi Shorinru he does. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, that's the flow of Yamashita. So uh, I sit there and say, Yamashita Sensei, to ask you a story. So he looks at me. What? A friend of mine's was in Puerto Rico, and you did a demonstration on stage with your comment. He just puts his hands up, and he reaches in, he takes his, his, I believe it was his left leg, and he pulls it up, and I see this long scar going up his leg. Wow. So anybody who knows Tadashi Yamashita, ask him to show me that scar. But uh, yeah, so those are the kind of stories that you get that are above and beyond what most people know. Yeah. And those are the kind of stories that you find out certain things about people and they look at you and go, how do you know that? And I know he's looking at me going, why do you know that? Mm-hmm. And I said, my instructor was there. He was there when it happened. I said, you used to do it, right? You used to, tra- used, to wor- used to teach Bill Solano. And he nods his head, yeah. 
We have Solano, who's still very much alive in Puerto Rico. He trained with Fusekise. He trained with Kimo Wall in uh, Matsubayashi. Oh, gosh. Uh, the Kobujutsu tradition. Uh, Matayoshi Shinpo, uh, Kobudo tradition. Uh, so, you know, he worked with all these different instructors, you know. So whenever they came, they'd be bringing them to Puerto Rico. Whenever in Puerto Rico, he'd work with them. So, you know, these are stories of my, these are stories of people that I worked with and studied with and trained with. And, you know, I mean, David German, I can actually say I trained with the uh, men who gave Ed Parker, uh, yeah, rather, I can say that I trained with the men who gave Elvis Presley and Wayne Newton their black belts, who were Ed Parker and David German, respectively. Nice. And I got to work with David German in Thai. And, uh, you know, I became his official historian for his system. And he states that in interviews you'll see on uh, on YouTube. That's cool. um, just very blessed, very thankful, very grateful. You know, everyone talks about that now, yeah. right? Gratitude, you know, the law of attraction, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm incredibly grateful. How blessed was I? You know? That's why That's why I'm really curious to hear your answer to this question. Just with everyone you've met, everyone you've trained with, the life you've had, who would you put on your martial arts Mount Rushmore? One, Ed Parker. Nice. No doubt about it. Ed Parker. In relation to my, in my, in relation to my personal training or martial arts in general. And that's up to you. It's your personal Mount Rushmore. So if it, that people put, I've had people put, you know, Bruce Lee and Ed Parker. I've had people just put their own instructors. So it's completely up to you. It's your Mount Rushmore. If it was my personal journey, it'd be, of course, Ed Parker, Ed Hosmer, Carlos Febrez, David German. Nice. And I said, and I, and you know what? And, and, you know, if it was a Kempo one, mm-hmm. it'd be Ed Parker. It'd be David German. It'd be Frank Trejo. Uh, it'd be, I, I pick unique people, you know, um, Sonny Gascon from Kata Zempo, the founder of Kata Zempo Goshen Jitsu. Okay. There's so many different people who influence me in so many different ways. Mm-hmm. I've made Kempo my life. You know, I mean, I've studied numerous other systems. I, I literally have black belt instructor certification in Chinese, Okinawan, Japanese, Korean, Filipino, and American martial arts. Wow. And, you know, the average, can the average person, you know, say that? Of course not, because the average person will never become a black belt, right? Right. You hear that line. Oh, well, how long does the average person become a black belt? That person doesn't become a black belt. I, I have what I call the Hall of the Brown Belts. These are people that got all the way to that brown belt, never got to black. Mm-hmm. And it's sad. You watch people, they, they get all the way and you know, and you wonder, what is it? Did they think they stiff they have to legally register their hands? I, I, <laughs> I love when that artist shows up every third blue moon on the equinox. Oh my gosh. I was almost one of those guys. And, and, and Taekwondo, red is right before black, brown then red. Oh, right. And I, yeah. got, I got to my red belt and actually tested for my black belt and I didn't pass. And I had moved back to California. And when I came back home, just life got, got married, started having kids. Fast forward, it was 10 years when I finally went back and finally got my black belt. I never gave up, but I knew I was going to do it. But you did it. No matter how long but it took. It. Exactly. Yeah, but you did it. You know, I, I look at certain people that I know. Now, some I have some students who got their black belts in certain arts, but not in others, mm-hmm. which I always wish they had gotten their, their, their black belt in those other arts, you know. But they are a black belt. Yeah. Like I had one, uh, you know, student in a couple of arts and was studying other ones. And, you know, and that's the funny thing, you know, in a world where we full of martial arts cults and closed minded blinder mindsets. Mm-hmm. I worked with Ed Parker. Mine's like a parachute works yeah. best when it's open. Mm-hmm. My Aikido instructor, Jack Leonardo, it is good to have an open mind, but it's better to have an open heart. I, you know, I, w- I was taught by those individuals, you know, some of the deadliest men I ever met were some of the nicest people. Mm-hmm. And they were the people that encouraged me to go study other martial arts. They were the person that was secure in themselves that they weren't paranoid that you were going to leave them <laughs> if you if you went to go train another martial art. 
And, you know, if, if you do something good and you're a good martial arts instructor, guess what? Your students will never leave you. Right. Or at least they'll stay with you for years and years and years. And I could never fault any of my students for going to train in other martial arts. How could I fault someone for doing what I did? Exactly. And yeah. then by learning another source, you suddenly see things that completely explain something you do in your system of martial art that maybe were never explained to you. And so you're like, you get what Ed Parkey's called slanted forehead drift syndrome, you know, from slapping yourself at going head like, I knew that, you know, <laughs> or I never knew that. And so that's why we do that in that form. That's why we do that. I never thought about it. But then again, I had never studied this art before. You know, one system, super secret, deadly technique is another system's yellow belt material. <laughs> that is true. <laughs> I, I tell people, oh, well, I didn't know that. And he said, you need to get out more. You know, you need to get out there more, man. Yep. You know, you need to learn and grow and evolve. And I do classical martial arts. I do traditional martial arts. I do modern martial arts. I do eclectic martial arts. I do all, the, the multiple choice question answer is E, all of the above. Actually, that's D. E is none of the above. So let's, think, right. let's put all of the above. And that's how you learn, grow, and evolve. There you go. So in over, you know, 50 years of martial arts, all the styles you've studied, is there one philosophy you've learned that just rises to the top? It's super important. It's part of your everyday life. You keep coming back to it. There's a meme out there with Dan and Asanto. And Dan's over 80 now. Mm -hmm. Matter of fact, I'm, I'm honored and privileged. I've just been nominated for induction into the Kempo Karate Hall of Fame, which will be uh, this June in Las Vegas. And I'm honored and privileged to say from that select group, I'm also going to be inducted with uh, Chuck Sullivan from the uh, Karate Connection nice. and Dan and Asanto. Wow. That's cool. And um, there's a meme of Dan and Asanto going, I'm always studying. <laughs> I am always a student. I'm always learning. There's always something new to learn. And that's the truth. There's always something new to learn. You know, they have a joke in Kenpo about, you know, how the higher you get in rank, the bigger your gut gets. Well, thankfully, I'm a slim trim under 200 pounds and I feel great. And I've been doing martial arts this October makes 55 years in wow. the martial arts. And, you know, it's great because, you know, like I said, people, the, the Internet, the haters mm -hmm. will go. Oh, you got to be, and I hear it, you got to be 400 years old to be able to do it. And, and just, like I said, I was joking around, you got to, oh, you got to be me. <laughs> but a friend of mine was at a martial arts event recently, and my name came up in conversation. They're, oh, yeah, that guy claims all the time. Nah, 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 nah. And someone else who was there at the table before my friend could speak up for me sat there and said, You're kidding me, right? Kenpo Joe? Man, you ask that guy a question on the internet, or he'll see a question and he'll put out a full blown video on it in detail, <laughs> breaking down different elements. And I've, I've been studying Kemp, my, the system of Kempo for like until how many years? He goes, That guy teaches me stuff about my own system I've never known before, about my own art or a particular form or set. And then he'll cross reference it with other martial arts. He's talking about it. You gotta be kidding me. If that's guy, if that guy's a phony, we should be also fake. <laughs> I was like, nice. So my buddy calls back. I said, "Man, who was the guy who dogged? Who the guy who dogged me down? Boy, Bully. Who's the one who gave me the glowing testimonial? If it wasn't you." <laughs> he said, "I don't know the guy, Joe." Because cool. I asked, I said, I said, oh, you've met Joe. I says, no, I've never met. I've never met Kempo Joe. I just watch his videos on YouTube and they're amazing. And, you know, the stuff the guy goes over. And I said, well, why don't you ask him a question? And it was like, man, I'm, a, I'm he says, you know, you get kind of intimidated. And I'm like, oh, God, man, that guy's one of the most accessible people in the world. Mm -hmm. You know, I go to events and people walk up to me and go, just at the day and go, hey, I just want to tell you, you know, I really enjoy your videos. I'm like, well, thank you. You know, that means the world to me. Nice. You know, it's how, how can I give back to the gene pool? You know, in, in our society today, Brian, we have so many people. Oh, yeah, yeah, my, yeah, my, my sensei is YouTube. Oh, 
And I go, you don't think in ancient times, if the ancient masters had footage of their grandmasters going over the forms of their system, so that way there'd be no doubt in their mind how the, the katas were originally performed, they'd eat that lump like ice cream. Are you kidding me? Exactly. Now we have that capability, and people, oh, you can't learn from a video. I'll tell you, I've seen forms that I've picked up from video over the years, but it's also because I already had knowledge in that particular system of martial arts, or I studied something similar to it. So Ed Parker had a great story. He and Chuck Sullivan did a video, a film, 8mm film back in 1961, the year I was born, by the way. (laughs) And um, they put out these films, and two guys from New York who were black belts in karate bought bought the films. And they contacted Mr. Parker by letter, and they paid for a plane ticket, and they flew to California. And they went over the material that they had learned from the eight millimeter films. And the only, they only had to correct one thing on the two man set. And the only reason they had to correct it is because he and Chuck Sullivan had actually made a mistake because of the size of the studio. And Chuck had done an adjustment step during the two man form. <laughs> but other than that, all the material they did was correct. Wow. That's and impressive. Two guys. This is the 1960s. Yeah. Now, here's another interesting story. Do you know how Chuck Norris got a seventh degree black belt in Tang Sudo? I'm pretty sure I've heard the story, yeah. He sent in a film. Yep, that's right. He sent in a film to Huang Ki in Korea, doing all the material, no edits, just filming straight, you know, with what you could with 50 to 100 feet of film, did all his required material for seventh degree black belt, sent it in. Chuck Sullivan was having a discussion with him. Can you believe it? He got it by film. Did he do the material he was supposed to? <laughs> well, that's not the point. Yeah, it is the point. Did he do the material? Obviously, he did his requirements, but he couldn't he couldn't afford to fly to Korea. So he filmed himself doing all the requirements and sent it to Grandmaster Key, and they promoted him. Now, of course, they'll see him, and of course, they'll they'll go they'll go over the material for his next rank and whatnot, mm-hmm. you know, eventually, and, and you know, they'll or he'll fly to Korea, and whatnot. But the bottom line is, he knew the material. Now, that's commonplace, right? Right. And Chuck Sullivan himself with Karate Connection, you can get your and people say, oh, well, you know, it's not the same. And I go to an extent, yes. But the bottom line is either you know the material or you don't know the material. Right. And I know that because guess what? A couple of years ago, gentleman Doug Gigliotti from Rhode Island brought Chuck Sullivan in. And two of my students, one of my students wanted to get involved in it. They both took and I said, you know what? They have something called Dinner with Chuck on, on YouTube or actually on Facebook. So um, one day I had a question. I, called my, I, I you know, we could type in things. Up. So uh, Joe Rebello writes um, in the I, in the IK. IKCA regulations, you state if a person has gotten a degree of black belt for Ed Parker, that they can test and receive the subsequent degree in karate connection as long as they can perform the master form with the 55 techniques. Is that true? And does that is is that still accessible and available? No, this is live on Facebook Live. It goes, wow, you know, no one's ever asked. Huh. You know, it's still in the regulations. It's still in the rules. Yes. So I'm like, okay, Chuck Sullivan's coming to Rhode Island. Hmm. Well, and I learned the master form and demonstrate it in front of him. So we do the seminar. Here's Chuck. I go to I go up with the black belts, and I'm cra- I'm even all the way up. I've got my little portable DVD player, and I'm watching the form as we're driving up. I'm in the passenger seat, just watching the form over and over. Because I've been practicing it for a couple of months. Mm-hmm. Yes, I said a couple of months. So uh, and I worked with Doug Gigliotti a, a couple of times. I'm like, okay. So we go up and we're going through the form, all 55 techniques. Uh, Chuck, what? Um, that's the Parker name of the technique. You change that motion and you call it this. And ah, you're right, Jeff. <laughs> boom, boom, keep going. Chuck, what? That's the Parker name for the technique. You, changed, you made this and you, it's called this now. 
All right. Yeah, you're right, Joe. Hey, Chuck, again? Yeah. <laughs> Does it three times across him? I correct him all three times. Then it was like, okay, so each one you're going to come up and do the master form. No problem. Me first. <laughs> I want to go through the Get out of the system. Bum, 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 bum. All 55 seconds. And then, boom, finish it. Dang. Nice. So the whole seminar finished up. Chuck, do I know your system? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Joe. Just send, so just send in the video. <laughs> okay. <laughs> you know. So my students promised that they'll pay for the pay for me to test. Well, I didn't know it was 225 bucks. I don't know. But I wanted to, to test. Well, my students never paid, so I never tested. But do you know for the next three months at dinner with Chuck, sooner or later, so they'd, they'd all be talking about me? And it blew my mind. And it blew their minds because he's like, you know, it's a pop. And Chuck's like, yeah, I can't. And you can watch it. I mean, you can go back through Facebook and look up Chuck's and You can watch these episodes at that time. One of mine's popped up on Facebook with memories. I'm like, oh, wow, shoot, that's right. You know, you really want something, you move heaven and earth to get it, right? That's what Dale Carnegie says. Yeah, that's true. How to win friends and influence people, right? Yep. You know, if I can give any advice to your, your listeners, do what you love, love what you do, do it for a living. There you and go. don't take no for an answer and do everything to the best of your ability. Nice. And remember, the best is always your best. Doesn't mm-hmm. necessarily have to be someone else's. Right. I've been students in wheelchair. I've been students who are legally blind. I've been students. You do it because you love to do it. And that's the key. Nice. All right, I have a few fun questions to wrap up the interview here. So this you one, th- this one, I'm really curious about because of your collection. What is your favorite martial arts book? <laughs> oh wow, I know not one. <laughs> I but, mean, for Kempo, it's Ed Parker's Infinite Insights into Kempo. Oh, I mean, those, we yes. literally documented his entire system. Love those books. Yep, and explained how he did it. I mean, where else are you going to get that? What is one you'd recommend to someone getting involved in martial arts for the first time? What's what's one of one or two that would pop in that you'd say, hey, you have to read this book. <sighs> If you're, into, if you're into Japanese martial arts in the history, definitely get Secrets of the Samurai okay. by Easterbrook and Ratty. Um, wonderful, wonderful text. If you want to find out about the history of all martial arts, I recommend several books by uh, Emil Farkas and John Cochran, uh, Martial Arts, History, Traditions, and People. If you're into Kempo, like I said, Ed Parker's, Ed Parker's Infinite Insights. Mm-hmm. You know, there's so many great books out there. I, I must have I must have five, five to 750 books easy. Wow. Easy. You know, no, no problem with that. But yeah, those are some of the ones I would recommend. Okay. There's, there's, a, there's a couple of fun ones. Mm-hmm. Okay. The fun ones are Angry White Pajamas, the story of a, a group of uh, uh, roommates living in uh, in uh, Japan who decided to study uh, Tomiki Aikido and mm-hmm. decide to take the Tokyo Riot Police Force instructor course in Tomiki Aikido with uh, Shioda. Mm-hmm. Another interesting one is uh, Karate as a Way of Gentleness by uh, C.W. McCall, who literally climbed Mount Everest. Another one is Zen Combat by Jay Gluck, uh, which is a great insight of him interviewing different martial arts masters in Japan. Gosh, this, you know, the, um, those are some of the fun ones. Okay, some good answers. I, I, that's why I asked this question, because I love adding to my own library. I, I'm probably at about a maybe 130 to 150 martial arts books, so nowhere near you, but... Uh, since I've started the podcast, I've probably added about 30 books to my list easily. So, Yeah, I get anything. If you want history, anything by Emil Farkas and John Cochran combined. They wrote some of the best overall martial arts history books in, in the world. In nice. the world. Nice. All right. How about a, now you, you mentioned video games. So how about a favorite martial arts video game? Uh, let's see. There has to be more than one. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> for okay. the uh, uh, original uh, Sega Saturn system, Last Bronx. Uh, the Soul Calibur series, which, by the way, if you get Soul Calibur 2, a friend of mine used to work for Namco, he put me in the game. Nice. You can make me 
my at that age at that time i'm in a you put me in a black gi with the red character for chuan for or ken for kenpo with a pair of kenpo gloves on and it's me he put me in the game give me a bunch of stats and my i'll never forget my student raymond ramus he put it again he goes oh my god it's you and i went what <laughs> it's you it's you that's awesome. and sure enough it was me he had put me in the game i was like that's so cool you know Later, um, Tekken, Tekken series, nice. uh, okay. a virtual fighter, because um, a lot of people don't know this, but one of our Wu-Tang masters, Adam Schur, he did a videotape on Baji, the eight ultimate system, mm-hmm. which was the main one of the main styles that Grandmaster Liu was known for and taught Ch- the bodyguards of Sun Yat-sen and Chiang Kai-shek. And actually, was taught the emperor's bodyguards, the eight ultimate system, which was designed to blow through armor. So anyway, he's did an instructional video in Japan, and... My buddy who worked for one of the video used it for mocap for Virtual Fighter and then later on for Tekken. And it's used by at least four characters to each of the games. Nice. And matter of fact, there's a YouTube video you'll see about the importance of Baji in video games. And it was due to my buddy who was a Wutong student in Japan who used it for motion capture. That's very cool. Some good games there. All right. Now, this one, you, you can't pick martial arts today. Favorite martial arts TV show. Well, obviously, most people would say David Carradine would kung fu and then they'd roll their eyes. Yep, <laughs> exactly. You know, there's so many lesser known ones. Mm-hmm. I'm going to I'm going to mention a couple. Russell Wong did a wonderful series called oh, Vanishing Sun. Love it. Yes, that was a great one. He also did another one called Black Sash. There's other ones. Uh, oh, gosh. You yeah. know, you can go all the way back to select episodes of The Man from Uncle mm-hmm. and Honey West, which both featured Gordon DeVasola, the instructor, one of my instructors right now, Michael Messina, who I've mentioned before, mentioned mm-hmm. working with Martin Cove and Steel Justice. I'm trying to think. There's a couple others that I've that I've always been fond of. See, I like those one-offs that lasted like one or two seasons. Those are the ones I love going back and rewatching. And stuff. Right. Like I mentioned, Vanishing Sun, Black Sash. Mm-hmm. Some interesting pilots. They did a, a pilot for Remo Williams, The Adventure Begins, oh, yes. which comes from the Destroyer series, oh. which in the original film, Joel Gray portrayed Chung and Roddy McDowell, That's along right. with Jeffrey Meeks, yep. who later portrayed uh, uh, Raiden in mm-hmm. Mortal Kombat Conquest. Another good series right there, Mortal Kombat Conquest. Yep. Who, uh, here's a quick story about Dana He. So I'm working, again, as the, the announcer at the Action Martial Arts event. So in through the door walks Dana He, who's not scheduled, who isn't planning on being there. She's walking around, look, just looking around. And I go, oh, my God, it's Dana He. <laughs> and she goes, you know me? Right. How would I not know the gold medalist in demonstration sport of Taekwondo at the Barcelona Spain Olympics? How would I not know the woman who doubled for Rene Russo in the Lethal Weapon series? <laughs> How would I not know the woman who was a, not only a stunt character in Mortal Kombat Annihilation, but also was a speaking role character for Mortal Kombat Conquest? Oh, yeah, I have no idea who you are. And she grabs me, beating, I mean, pulls me close and goes, I love you. <laughs> and, and it goes, you know how long I've wanted a woman like you to say that to me? And she goes, no, I didn't think anybody would know who I was. So the year before that, Cheryl Wheeler walks in the door. Similar thing. Looking mm-hmm. around, I'm going, oh, my gosh, Cheryl Wheeler. And it was like, you know who I am? Why? Like, I don't know the woman who uh, used to compete in uh, Yoshikai with uh, Jerry Blank in Florida. No, I don't know the woman who was featured on covers versus Gracias Casillas in the match that never was to be. That mm-hmm. should have been because you were both top kickboxers of, of your day. No, I don't know you at all. And she, again, grabs me by the arm. Exact same thing. Says, I love you. And I'm like, <laughs> man, I got a gift going on here, man. <laughs> you know, hot martial arts women saying they're attracted to me and saying they love me. This is great. All right. You know, that's cool. But, um, you know, Oliver Gruner showing up one year. 
Yep. I've had him and on he, the show. And, he's, and it's like, yeah, you know, it's Oliver Gruner. Oh, you know who I am? Right. Yeah. I, I have no idea what the movie Angel Town was. No, I never saw La Savat. No, I never saw The Circuit. I never watched a series of Nemesis films. I have no clue in the world who you are. <laughs> and I also, on your non-listed credit in Assassin X in Redbox, where they didn't list your name, but they list the old soap opera star as the star of the movie. And he's on, what, 15 minutes, a whole stinking movie, and it's your film? Yep. I said, that's as bad as as Rob Van Dam doing The Other Side of Town, and they put a big picture of uh, Dave Bautista because he was WWE champion, and a little picture of Rob Van Dam, <laughs> even though it's Rob Van Dam's movie. Gotta love Hollywood. Oh, yeah. But, uh, yeah, so um, what cool. question were we on? I'm sorry. That was the Kansas. favorite favorite martial arts TV show. But you gave quite, yeah. a, few, quite a few answers, so. <laughs> yeah. And how about favorite martial arts movie? Oh, man. <laughs> I have some weird ones. Okay. American Samurai. Nice. With uh, David Bradley and Mark DeCosta. Good movie, yes. Because it was a really great weapon movie. Mm-hmm. I love weapons. Yep. I teach over 65 weapons. There are at least 1,000 weapons here in my studio. Wow. A thousand. That's not a joke. That's the truth. A thousand, Brian. That's cool. And, um, you know, I always say if one person hits another, it's assault. Two people agree to hit each other, it's sport. Two people pick up something and hit each other with it, it's fun. <laughs> so my favorite movies, uh, Legendary Weapons of China is a great film. One of the first movies I ever saw as a child growing up was a movie with uh, Chen Sing and uh, Yashuaki Kurata called uh, Kung Fu, the Invisible Fist, which has the wildest Psy versus Tone for fight scene I've ever seen. Nice. Man, you know, you got to say the perfect weapon for Kempo, of course. Yeah, I love that movie. You know, there's, there's so many wonderful movies. I mean... You know, Brian, after this, I'll send you a couple pictures of my DVD collection. Very cool. And you're going to be like, oh, my God, box upon box upon box upon box and pile upon pile upon box. And it's like thousands of them. Yeah, I own about a thousand thousand DVDs, only about 120 are martial arts ones. So, so. Yeah, no, me, it's like, no, yeah, it's the opposite. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah obsessed yeah final question this one doesn't have to be a martial arts movie but knowing you it might be who knows but just a favorite movie fight scene Chen Sing by versus Yasuaki Kurata, Kung Fu the Invisible Fist the Lao brothers fighting each other in weapons legendary weapons of China there's a great fight scene with Cynthia Rothrock a couple of great fight scenes with Cynthia Rothrock and Richard Norton from uh, The Magic Crystal uh, there's a great fight scene where they're using a collapsible three-section spear against a guy with double tonfa, which is really wild. Tying them on the tonfa kinka. Several of the fight scenes from Kids of Shaolin with Jet Li because it's three-section staff versus three-section staff. There's another one called um, Crazy Tiger Dirty Toad with Samo Hung with, again, three-section staff versus three-section staff, which mm-hmm. actually blows my mind. I'm a big three-section staff fan. Nice. A lot of good answers. Yeah. Those are just, I mean, that's, that's just off the top of my head. A lot of knowledge about, you know, martial arts and, and pop culture and stuff, which is amazing. I mean, I, I thought I knew a lot about martial arts movies and TV shows, but I think you might you might surpass my knowledge even. So. <laughs> oh, oh, yeah. Well, you know, I mean, there's a couple of things coming up. Uh, look look for me soon in an episode of Viking Samurai. Cool. Uh, again, uh, that, that, that one for YouTube channel. Uh, also... Um, you know, watch my TV program, Martial Arts Today Television, yep. on YouTube. I'll put a link for your YouTube channel in, in the show notes when the show comes out. For sure. sure yeah. So. Uh, on there, I'm Kempo Joe One. Funny story: the guy who owned Kempo Joe on YouTube, mm-hmm. when he found out it was me, offered it to me. <laughs> I'm like, nah, it's okay. You got it. You know, they you mean you you are Kempo Joe, and it was like, <laughs> you know, and you'll look up Kempo Joe, and there are other Kempo Joe people who have that name. And yeah. But you know, when people talk about Kempo Joe. 
for lack of a better term, nothing to no aspersions upon them. It's me. Yeah. You know, whoever thought an AOL screen name would become my nom de plume. <laughs> you know, here's the funny one about that. So um, I'm at the Ocean State Grand National Championships in Rhode Island, Warwick, Rhode Island. I'm in the men's bathroom of all places. So I come out of the bathroom. I'm wearing my IKK jacket. I'm washing my hands. Guy walks up to me and says, are you Kenpo Joe? And that was the first time that anyone had ever referred to me by my screen name. <laughs> I was like, matter of fact, I am. He goes, I love your posting. Right now, the AOL used to have a whole series of message boards for martial arts. Yep. And he would say, you know, I read your post. You know, I copy your post, by the way. I go, huh? I print them up and I save them in a book. Excuse me? <laughs> he goes, Look, I mean, sir, other people write like a couple of sentences or maybe a paragraph. You write theses. You write doctorates on freaking topics. You name sources. You cross-reference material. It is awesome reading your, your answers. And it's so sad now because AOL destroyed all those archives. They're all gone. That's sad. All gone. So it's so important to me now. All the more that I let people know about my experiences and talk about mm -hmm. my instructors and, and talk about the different martial arts and and show them in no uncertain terms that I really do know what I know. Yeah. And now, because of things like action martial arts, everybody else knows. You know, I'll finish with one last story. Okay. I'm at the action martial arts event and uh, I'm the master of ceremony. So I'm there at the podium. There's myself, there's Alan Goldberg. And right next to me is Stephen Hayes, nice. the man who brought. The Bujinkan and Togakure Ninjutsu and uh, the, the Takumatsu Den legacy to America. So, and of course, I give a glowing testimonial about how this Tengsudo black belt in Atlanta read this book called uh, Ninja the Invisible Assassin by Andrew Adams and decides to travel to Japan and learn ninjutsu. So, we're standing there next to each other. He goes, Joe, I got to tell you, I'm really impressed how you get everybody's name right. And they're from, how do you do this? They're in all different lands. I go, I speak seven languages. What? I speak seven languages. He goes, besides all your martial arts accomplishment, you speak seven. And yeah, I speak English, obviously. I speak Spanish because my mother's Puerto Rican. I speak Portuguese because my father's Portuguese. I speak French. Je suis parlez-vous français. de San Antoine. Écoutez, répétez, écrivez, you know. Uh, I speak I, I speak Italian and I speak not a lot. I'm working on Italian. Italian is the one I'm working on. Okay. Also, um, um, uh, Korean and Thai, but I also speak Japanese and I speak Mandarin. Wow. And he's like, besides all your martial arts, all your comedy. Yeah. So that's amazing. Well, thank you. And you know, again, one of the greatest things a person can hear is the sound of their own name. And when you talk to a person about their life in Korea, like we're doing now, Brian, and like you said, you're finding out things about me you never knew. Right. So it's a, it's a learning experience. I learned about your show and I wanted to be on your show. And you talk about people that you want to contact, you want to get on their show. Well, I happen to know those people. So now I can put in a good word for you. I can talk about this. I can say, hey, listen to my listen to my episode of this. And it's all about cross-referencing. It's all about networking. It's all about one simple phrase I learned. How can I be of help? How can I be of service? Nice. Ed Parker, make a smile and a handshake, your best friends. That's cool. Always offer your hand in friendship. And that's one thing that's almost every one of my guests has recommended at least one other guest that I've had on. Some have done multiple and more and more and more and, and some not. But I mean, it's, I started with 22 interviews and from that, I think I had recommendations for about 15 more and that just led to more. And suddenly I'm at a, over a hundred episodes. I think you're going to be episode number 109. You know, your your episode will be April sixth. The episode. Oh, of I was hoping it'd be one hundred eight. You know that 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 mystical Shaolin number one hundred eight. You know, <laughs> there you go. 
But yeah, that's awesome. I'm so happy. I'm so happy to contribute. I'm so happy to be of service. I'm so happy to educate people about my life and career, educate people about the people who educated me. I'm glad we were able to do this. And like I said, I will definitely put links and and I've watched many episodes of your show and I definitely want to go back now and watch the Jeff Speakman one because I've interviewed Jeff. Yeah, that was the first one. Yeah. And I got to to train with Jeff for a short time when I lived in California and such a nice guy. I, I followed your episode learning about you. Nice. Yeah, it's cool, but I just I, I appreciate your time I, I so much, and and I just enjoyed this so much, and I can't wait to get the episode out there for people to listen to. Fantastic! And uh, like I said, if you're listening to this podcast right now, and you know, you know, tell a friend, tell a neighbor, you know, let 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 fellow martial artists know, let the show grow. That's what it's all about. The more people we can affect, and the more people you can affect through your program, the better. Awesome. Well, I appreciate your time and, and uh, enjoy the rest of your day. And one more thing. Yes. Hey, show up at the Action Martial Arts Mega Weekend sometime. Thanks for listening to Everyday Martial Artist. We hope you'll join us every week for a brand new episode with a different martial artist telling their story. If you enjoy the show, be sure to leave us a review. Also, be sure to check out our website at everydaymartialartist.com. There you can find all of our episodes and contact us to suggest guests and ask questions. Again, thanks for listening to Everyday Martial Artist, and we'll see you next week.